Hello, Christ Community Church. We are continuing our series on conflict today called Rock, Paper, Scissors. We're going to be talking about forgiveness, and so I'm sitting down with Dr. Roger Myfair, who is a general surgeon and has been a physician for 18 years. He's also a member of Christ Community Church, and he goes to our DeKalb campus. So, Roger, thanks so much for sitting down with me. It's my pleasure. So, when we talk about anger and bitterness, usually we're talking in emotional terms, but I'm really curious, uh, what physical effects does unforgiveness have uh, on our bodies. Have there been any studies that have been done about that? Yeah, so we understand that unforgiveness is a part of anger, and we all appreciate the phrases, there's a pit in my stomach, or my blood is boiling, or I want to just pull my hair out is a form of anger, but that's what we interpret as it. But there's actually physical findings that go on inside of us. And uh, Mayo Clinic did a study in 2015 that showed that people that are angry or who have harboring unforgiveness uh, have an increased risk of anxiety, depression, distressed faces and a decreased immune system as well as a sense of loss of control over themselves and the environment. Uh, there's a slower recovery from surgery as well as some chemical changes that are released from uh, holding a grudge. Uh, so break that down. Physically, what's going on inside my body when I'm holding a grudge and then when I forgive someone? Yeah, so initially when the initial con, uh, conflict happens, you have a release of epinephrine and norepinephrine. That's the sympathetic nervous system that's causing the fight or flight. And that makes your heart rate go up, your hypertension or high blood pressure, and your respiratory rate to go up. From there, you have a release of cortisol, which is a steroid that we all make. Steroids are good, but too much can be bad. And so that damages the lining of the stomach, causes ulcers, causes hardening of the arteries. It can cause the uh, liver to release glucose, causing poorly controlled diabetes. And it weakens our immune system so that you are more prone to cold sores or upper respiratory infections. The uh, C-reactive protein is another protein that causes generalized inflammation throughout the body. Uh, you also have a drop in natural killer cells when you're holding grudges. That is important in the immune system for surveilling against infection and cancer. And when you forgive somebody, they've shown the natural killer cells go up. Lastly, oxytocin is called the love hormone. It's important in human bonding and social interaction. And people that are unforgiving have a drop in that level. And when they forgive somebody, that oxytocin level actually goes up. Uh, so long term, what happens? If I'm holding a grudge for a long time chronically, what's the effect? Yeah, so you will have a suffering from all of those side effects, plus anxiety, depression, poor sleep, which results in chronic fatigue as well as decreased libido, causes weight gain or weight loss, depending on if you're a binge eater or not, and uh, all the effects that goes on with that. And according to Mayo Clinic, if you have a distressed face, you're going to be more prone to wrinkles. But the good news for Pastor Jim is they actually looked at a study on forgiveness and alopecia or hair loss, and there is no correlation. So he, he's good there. But Emory did a study and looked that people that who forgive use their primary care physician three times less, they use less medicines, drink less alcohol, and they use specialty care ten times less. This is a really big deal. So in your expert opinion, uh, what's the prescription? I, I'm angry at someone, what should I do? Well, Clayton, you need to chillax, man. Just chill. Take a breath. Separate yourself from the environment. But as Romans 12:18 says, as for me, I need to live at peace with everyone because that has big implications on my health, my habits, and my mindset. Wow, uh, this is so important. We have got to learn how to forgive. Well, thanks so much, Roger. You're welcome. Well, hello, Christ Community Church. How are you doing today? 
Good. Well, I want to say hello to all of you joining us at all four of our campuses here in St. Charles and in DeKalb and Blackberry Creek and Streamwood Bartlett. And also those of you joining us online, we know that uh, a lot of times when you can't be here in person or maybe you're just checking out the church for the first time, you watch online. Uh, and we're so glad you're with us and we look forward to the time when you can join us again in person. Well, let's get started with a word of prayer. Father, we're here today because we want to learn how to forgive, to forgive other people the way that you've forgiven us. And God, I I know that there is nothing that I can say that can actually make someone forgive from the heart. Only you can do that. So God, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to work a miracle inside of us today. God, we're opening ourselves up to you as we open up your word and we ask, have your way in us. And we pray this in the name of the one who went to the cross to forgive his enemies, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today is the last week in our series, Rock, Paper, Scissors, uh, where we're talking about what the Bible says about conflict resolution. And I want to show you the art that we've been using for the last few weeks for this series. Uh, I love the way our communications team uh, designs different art for different series. And uh, this time they've got one that's got the kind of early 80s video game vibe, you know, the Atari NES era, you know. And it's got the three gestures up there, you know. It's got the paper, it's got the scissors, and it's got the rock. Now, here is the question for all of you. Uh, How many of you were like me that when you first saw that maybe or or kind of from the corner of your eye, you thought you saw a very different gesture, okay? Maybe the one that most of us use to resolve conflict, like on the road, you know? Some of you are like feeling more holy than your pastor. You're like, what gesture is he talking about? I don't know. Nothing to do with that. But isn't that the case? Like that is more of our instinct, isn't it? Maybe you don't flip people off, but that feeling of rising anger where you want to stick it to the person who's hurt you uh, is something that comes a little bit too automatically for a lot of us. And when we look at what the Bible actually says about conflict, especially when it talks about forgiveness, it really cuts against the grain of our natural instincts. And Jesus' teaching on this is really, really difficult. It's really hard, but it's also really good. It's exactly what we need to hear. Part of what makes talking about forgiveness in a group like this kind of difficult is because there's a huge range of experiences. Uh, All of us experience what you might call, you know, garden variety, everyday kinds of conflicts. You know, you have a a fight with your boyfriend or uh, with your coworker or with your sibling. Uh, And and those are, are the kind of conflicts that we've got to resolve day in and day out. Uh, But there are other conflicts that many of us, far too many of us have experienced that you might call more traumatic conflicts. They involve betrayal or abuse, and they cut really deep. It's not so easy to uh, move on from those just with a a conversation to clear the air. You've got to work through that process, sometimes uh, not just over days, but over months and years. And and so when we talk about what Jesus says about forgiveness, it's going to apply to both kinds of conflicts, but I know that as I'm speaking to you, we're going to have to apply it in different ways to these different situations. So I want you to be aware of that. It's sort of like uh, if someone's ever been in physical therapy, uh, it's always going to stretch you. It's always going to hurt. It's not going to feel good. Uh, But if you have a more severe injury, uh, pushing too far too fast can actually re-injure you. And I want to be sensitive to that as we talk about this. Uh, So I'm going to kind of go back and forth, sometimes talking to one or, or the other kinds of conflict. The passage we're looking at today is found in the book of Matthew. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Matthew is one of the four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. It's actually the first book in the New Testament. 
And the passage we're looking at is actually just after the one we talked about last week. So Pastor Jim talked about uh, how we confront each other when when we've wronged each other. And this is the passage that comes right after that, which makes sense because it's about how we forgive in the wake of conflict. So we're going to read in verse 21 here. I'm going to read the whole thing through to you. And after we do that, I'm going to actually have us respond by thanking God for speaking to us. Now, this is something that we have been doing for the last few months as we've read God's word in our services here at Christ Community. And some of you have asked the question, well, why do we start doing that? Because uh, you, you think, you know, I, I've been in other church contexts and we did things like that. And I, I never really understood it there. What, why are we doing it here? Uh, let me give you a, just an image to help understand this. Okay, so in my home, uh, when uh, my wife and I do things for each other, we always make sure that we say, thank you. You know, you, you, you made this meal or you did this thing for me and we say, thank you and you're welcome. And for our kids, when uh, we do something for them, when we tie their shoes or we pour them a bowl of cereal, we, we always make them say, thank you, and we respond, you're welcome. Now, why do we do that? It is not because every single time uh, we are so overwhelmed with gratitude that it just comes flowing out of us. No, the reason we do it is the exact opposite. Those little acts of service are so easy to take for granted that if we don't do something to acknowledge them, our home will become a less warm, less gracious place. Uh, So the same thing is true with this. Uh, From ancient times, followers of Jesus have put these little responses into their services. Things like saying uh, amen after a prayer or saying thanks be to God after a reading of the Bible. Because we know that we can easily pass these by and not realize the gifts that they are. So when we do this, what I want you to do is respond with enthusiasm from your heart because we would never want you to have kind of a a, a rote, pre-programmed response to something, okay? Get it? Good. Let's read in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But... When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had mercy on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, here's the big idea from this passage. The big idea is because God offers unlimited forgiveness, we ought to offer unlimited forgiveness. 
Uh, That's what verses uh, 21 and 22 are all about. Uh, In those days, Jewish rabbis, they taught that you should forgive someone up to three times if they keep wronging you. And and so Peter, who has been around Jesus for a while and knows that he's a really gracious guy, he he thinks, well, I got to up the ante. Jesus is probably going to, you know, go even further. So he says, how much should we forgive? Seven times? You know, that's like the number of perfection. And Jesus says, no, 77 times. And here's what that means. It means that you need to start keeping a tally of every time someone wrongs you. And up to 77 times, you've got to be nice to that person. But on 78, you can get that sweet, sweet revenge, you know? Now, what Jesus is saying is stop counting. When someone wrongs you again, there is always more forgiveness to be offered. Now, that's a challenging idea, isn't it? So we're going to need to unpack that. We're going to do that by asking three questions. They're in your weekly welcome, and they're this. What is forgiveness? Why should we forgive? And how do we forgive? What, why, and how? So let's jump in on that first one. What is forgiveness? Here's the working definition. It is releasing someone from payback for wrongdoing. Releasing someone from payback for wrongdoing. A couple of things to notice about the definition. The first is this. We forgive wrongdoing. Wrongdoing. Uh, And this is key. It seems maybe obvious, but it's really important to focus on because uh, sometimes when we uh, get angry at someone, it's not for wrongdoing. You know, we, we get ticked off at them because, uh, you know, the, they talk too much in a meeting or their, their sense of humor is obnoxious or they asked us to do something we didn't want to do. And we get angry, uh, but we don't forgive those things because, you know what, being annoying is not a sin. Uh, what we really should be doing is actually asking their forgiveness for being so impatient and judgmental. But, but here's the other thing this means. It means that when you actually offer someone forgiveness, you are also implying an accusation. Think about it this way. If you were sitting down with your friend and they said to you, you know, I just want to let you know, I forgive you. you you'd be like, wait, wait what, what are you talking about? What did I do? You're saying I did something wrong? Like if it wasn't obvious that you had wronged them, you would feel accused by that statement. And, and that's important. To forgive is to accuse. And, and sometimes we get mixed up about this because when, sometimes when we imagine forgiveness, what we're really imagining is making excuses for someone else's behavior. We're downplaying it. We're saying, you know, oh, they didn't mean it. It wasn't what it seemed. It's no big deal. And some of us, we think we're really forgiving people, but really you're actually a very excusing person. Uh, Because forgiveness is not saying it's no big deal. Forgiveness is saying it is a big deal. It was wrong. You are guilty. In order to forgive, you've got to first accuse. Now, the flip side of that is that forgiveness, while it includes an accusation, is also releasing someone for the penalty, for the payback that they deserve for that. In the story, this is really straightforward. You know, the the man owes some money and the king says, you don't need to pay that back. We do the same thing in our forgiveness. Uh, The form of payback might look different though. In some cases, it's an official form of payback. You know, like when you uh, back your parents' van into your neighbor's mailbox and you got to buy them a new one, as I found out when I was 16 years old. Or when you're doing 80 and a 55 and you get a ticket. These are our official legitimate forms of payback. Although sometimes we go the unofficial route. Uh, And that takes the form of revenge. You know, you embarrass me, so I'm going to ruin your reputation. You you ding my car, so I'm going to key yours. You had an affair, and so I'm going to cheat on you so you know how it feels. Revenge is when we take payback into our own hands, and we seek it in ways that are unhealthy and and, and wrong. It's what the Bible calls repaying evil for evil. Uh, Other times, payback doesn't even have an outward expression at all. It's something that happens on the inside of us. 
It happens in our thoughts. We dwell on the thing that that person did to us to keep our anger fresh. Or or we rehearse the things that we're going to say to them to make them realize how much they hurt us. Or we imagine horrible things happening to that person so that they feel exactly how we feel. Uh, Payback is in our hearts and our minds. It's what we call bitterness or resentment. And and forgiveness is saying for all of those forms of payback, I'm not going to do that. What you did was wrong, but I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm not going to harbor bitterness. I'm not going to try to punish you. Now, here's the question that always comes up with that. Does that mean that when someone does something wrong, if you forgive them, there's no consequences for them? Uh, The answer to that is is no. Uh, There are no consequences, or there are consequences for them, but those consequences do not take the form of punishment or payback. Uh, What they usually take the form of is uh, new responsibilities that that person has to take on because of their their actions. A change of, uh, of situation means new responsibilities. Or it might mean new boundaries in a relationship so that person can earn trust again or, or grow. Uh, but you never impose consequence on someone you forgive as a form of punishment. So that's what forgiveness is. But the question is, why in the world would you ever do that? Because that's not honestly the, the, the first thought that you have when someone wrongs you. It's the last thing you think about. So what would actually motivate us to forgive? This passage comes at it from two ways. There's a positive motivation and a negative motivation. The positive motivation is this. The experience of God's forgiveness melts our hearts towards other people. Or at least it's supposed to. Uh, That's what's going on in the story. This huge debt being forgiven for this man is supposed to change his attitude when he looks at the people around him. This actually gets at the heart of the Christian message, the, the, the gospel or the good news. Because according to the gospel, every single one of us is like this servant. Uh, In in the story, uh, this servant is uh, serving in a king's court. Uh, And in those days, being a servant didn't necessarily mean that you were just doing menial tasks, you know, wash the clothes, do the dishes, that sort of thing. Uh, In in a king's court, a servant might have some serious responsibility. They're, they're, They're a part of the administration of the government. And so that's how a servant like this could incur such a huge debt. The king had entrusted them with a portion of his rule, and and he failed at it. He messed it up. He ruined uh, what the king was doing. And this is what God has done with humanity. He has actually entrusted us with rule over his creation. That's what it means to be created in, in the image of God. It means that God has given each one of us a little piece of turf that he says, you've got influence, you've got sway, you've got some control in this area. In your home, in your workplace, in your relationships. You you can rule the world in some way there. And what God wants us to do with that is to fill that space with his glory and his beauty and his love and his justice and his goodness. That's what he did, did that for. But what do we do with that responsibility? What do we fill the world with? Well, in my life, I, I look at that and I, I realize I, I'm leaking all sorts of toxic stuff every single day. Arrogance and selfishness anger and impatience and greed and lust and cowardice and all of these things is just kind of come bubbling out of me all throughout my day. And if you look at any single one of those things, you might say, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you back up and look at the the, the big picture, you say, man, what what is contributing to the problems in the world? What's poisoning the world? If you ask that question, I got to say, honestly, in part me, I'm part of the problem here. And because every single one of us has done that, what the, what the Bible calls sin, it means we have incurred an incredible debt with God, a debt that we could never pay. And, and so on the day when God comes to settle accounts, it would be completely appropriate for him to say to each one of us, lock them up, throw away the key, they've done wrong. So we've got a serious problem. 
Now, our only option in the face of that is to do exactly what the servant did, to fall on our knees and plead with God for mercy. And here's where it becomes good news. When we plead with God for mercy, he does exactly what the king does in this story. He looks on us with compassion and he forgives our debt. That debt we could never pay. He says, you don't have to pay it. You are free. You are released. It is not yours anymore. You do not have to fear. And that experience of receiving that forgiveness, it transforms everything about our lives. It melts our hearts even towards people who have wronged us. How does that work? How does it work on our hearts in that way? Uh, well, for one thing, what it does is when Jesus asks us to forgive another person, we know that he knows exactly how hard it is to forgive. He's not standing up there aloof saying, I'm gonna ask you to do something I've never done. He's saying, I actually know what it's like to forgive friends who betrayed me, to forgive family who abandoned me, to forgive people who physically abused me and publicly shamed me. That's just in Jesus' personal life. And as the God of the universe, he had to forgive the sins of the entire world. He knows how hard it is to do that because it cost him his life. And so when he asks you, go and forgive that person who hurts you, he's not saying because it's easy. He's saying, I know how hard it is, but I also know how good it is for you. Another way it melts our hearts is that we know what it's like to, to have a burden, a, a debt that we deserve to pay, but we have no way of paying it. We know what it's like to be in that position. In a really strange way, we actually can relate to a person who has wronged us. We know what it's like not just to be the innocent victim, but to be the guilty perpetrator. Now, that's why in the story, when Jesus describes the two interactions, he, he describes the two servants with the exact same words. Look at verse 26 and 29. The first servant, it says, he fell on his knees. He begged the king, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. And then when you go to the second servant, the second servant in verse 29 does the exact same thing. He, he falls on his knees. He begs, be patient with me. And what was supposed to happen is this. That first servant was supposed to look at that, that second servant groveling on his knees and say, oh my goodness, I've been there. I know what it's like to be you. To, to be uh, standing before someone and be in their hands that they're either gonna condemn you or forgive you and there's nothing you can do about it. I've been there and it's a miserable place. This is one of the most counterintuitive effects of the gospel. It makes it so that we actually empathize with our enemies. There's a psychologist named Everett Worthington. Uh, he happens to be a follower of Christ, and he is a research professor at Virginia Commonwealth University. And for decades, his area of research has been forgiveness. And uh, he did this mostly because he was counseling uh, couples and families through the process of forgiveness, and he wanted to learn how it worked. But then, in 1996, his mother was murdered. It was a, a surprise thing. It was horrible. Uh, I'll spare you the details. But as you can imagine, it was devastating for Everett Worthington. So what Worthington has to do then is uh, turn back to his research about forgiveness and say, does this model that I've been developing, does it actually apply to my situation? Am I supposed to? And how do I forgive this man who murdered my mother? In an article he wrote about it, this is how he describes the turning point that helped him begin to forgive. He said, we are changed by recalling Christ's death on our behalf to open up the way to the Father's forgiveness for our own many sins. The essence of the forgiveness model that he developed is taking the hard step of trying to see things through the offender's eyes. 
Through prayer, I could see this young man's fear of prison and anger at having his plans spoiled. Being able to empathize with him didn't mean I accepted what he had done, but it did help me forgive him. What, what Worthington did and what the servant in the story was supposed to do was recognize that wrongdoing doesn't just harm the, the victim, it harms the perpetrator too. They haven't just ruined someone else's life, they've ruined their own life as well. They brought a burden of guilt on themselves that they cannot get out from under on their own. And that empathy, even though it doesn't excuse or minimize what someone did, it does soften our hearts towards them. Another way this melts our hearts is the forgiveness of God actually frees us from being defined by what other people did to us. This is so easy, so natural, especially with a, a traumatic conflict, for that to become a defining experience in your life. Your suffering and your anger in response to that become the filter that you see everything through. It affects every relationship, every environment you're in. It's the defining experience of your life. But when you have experienced God's unlimited forgiveness, it completely overshadows any other experience in life. It becomes the defining experience. That's why in this story, the the Two debts are such uh, huge differences. Uh, the, the, the first servant owes 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, in other translations, they'll use the actual term talent, which was the unit of money. The second servant owes 100 silver coins or denarii. Now, even if you don't know how much a talent or denarii is, you can imagine 10,000 bags of gold, 100 silver coins, there's a big difference. But let me make it even more clear. A denarii is what a laborer, like a farmhand or a construction worker, would earn in about one day's work. So that means 100 silver coins is about four months' wages. So think ten dollars to $20,000. It's not lunch money. If someone owed you four months of income, you'd be eager to have them pay. And you'd be impatient if they didn't pay on time. However, a talent is 75 pounds of gold. Okay, it is 20 years wages for a peasant in Jesus' day. That means 10,000 talents is an absurd amount of money. It is 10 to $12 billion. It is more than the annual tax revenue of the entire Roman province that Jesus lived in. It would take 200,000 years to pay it off. So imagine, someone owes you 10 or 20 grand. That's, that's, that's a serious thing. You're going to be thinking about that. You're going to be on them on that. But what if all of a sudden you, you had the experience of being forgiven billions of dollars that you owed? It, it is suddenly going to become the defining experience. The, the, the $10,000 debt might still matter. It might still affect you. But it is certainly not going to define you. It, you're not going to dwell on it as much. It's not going to dominate you as much. The experience of forgiveness frees you. Uh, when we soak in the fact that the God of the universe has forgiven us an unpayable debt... It doesn't always take away the pain of what people have done to us, but it does make it so that pain no longer defines us. And these are the ways that the experience of God's forgiveness melts our hearts towards the people who have hurt us. Here's the other reason, though, uh, why we forgive, and this is the negative reason that Jesus gives. We forgive because refusing to forgive prevents us from receiving forgiveness. Refusing to forgive prevents us from receiving forgiveness. This is the really hard part about the passage here, okay? Uh, Jesus is really clear. He says, if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. And you read that and you think, hang on a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I thought forgiveness was like a free gift from God. Like, why is Jesus adding requirements on this? To, to answer that question, you've got to understand why the other servants were so angry. Look at verse 31. It's a detail that's easy to overlook. 
It says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Now, you've got to imagine this setting the same way Jesus' hearers would would have thought about it. This is a group of servants who serve a king. Which means all of them not only work together, but they actually live together. They're part of the king's court. They're part of one community, one kingdom. And so when the first servant throws the second servant in prison, it sends a message to all the other servants in the community. It says, I belong here because I'm forgiven, but you can only belong here if you pay. I am here by grace, but you have to earn your place here. I am forgivable, but you are not. But the other servants know, especially because they've seen how big of a debt the king would forgive, they know that the king is not running a household that way. That's not why we get to be a part of this community. No one is allowed to say, you know, God's grace is enough for me, but it's not enough for you. If you do that, it shows that you haven't really understood what God has done for you. If you are unwilling to take a step on the path of forgiveness, it exposes the fact that you haven't really received the forgiveness that God has extended to you. One commentator I read explained it this way. He said, receiving an offering forgiveness is like breathing in and breathing out. You can't do one without the other. If you keep trying to breathe in, after a while, you can't breathe in anymore. You've got to breathe out so that you can breathe in again. You've got to do both. That's why we need to forgive. But let's get practical. How do you actually do this? How do you forgive? If you pick up a Christian book or a few Christian books on forgiveness, you will find that there are a couple of different perspectives on how to go about this. And it actually gets kind of into a heated debate about this. There are some authors who say, you know, forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision that you make at a point in time, regardless of how you feel, you choose to set someone free from the debt that they owe you. You make a choice. There are other people who say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not that simple. Forgiveness is actually a process. You know, it's a process mostly of working through those feelings of bitterness and anger inside your heart. And you can't just flip a switch and and forgive someone. It, It takes time. And so they go back and forth. They say, it's a decision. No, it's a process. It's a decision. It's a process. And as I was reading these this week, I kept thinking, you know, these guys really need like a sermon series on conflict resolution or something. Really help. Because when you think about it, you take a step back, you realize it's a both and, right? You need both of these aspects. Actually, from my perspective, I think you need kind of three different angles on how to forgive. The first angle is this. It is a decision. You need to make a decision to reject payback a decision to reject payback. And that's a decision you can make regardless of how you're feeling in the moment. You can choose to extend forgiveness to someone and not seek revenge. Uh, Usually, in the sort of day-to-day garden variety conflicts, this happens through a face-to-face conversation. You you say to a person, I forgive you, and you move on, and you, and you, uh, you don't seek payback. In the more traumatic experiences, it's a little bit more complicated, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But for the most part, you aim to have the expression of that decision be as personal and direct as possible, uh, face-to-face if you can. On the other hand, uh, you also need to go through a process of forgiveness, a process of releasing resentment, releasing resentment. Here's how Paul describes it in the book of Ephesians. He says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
this can be really hard. Because when we've got pain, it's really easy to get caught on what someone has called the, the mental gerbil wheel. You know, you're, you're spinning around and around your pain so much, but you never actually get past it. It just goes around your heart and your mind. But what I've found is the best way to actually make progress in this is to do what Jesus commands us to do, and that's pray for our enemies, people who have hurt us. Now, that's really hard work. It's really hard work. Uh, you got to be deliberate about this. You sit down and you actually talk to God and say, God, I want you to bless this person. I want you to protect this person. I want you to provide for this person. You pray for their, their physical needs. You pray for their relationships. You pray for their work. You pray for their spiritual well-being. And because it's really difficult to actually generate those words for someone that, that you, you're angry at, uh, one, one of the helpful things that I've found is to actually pick a passage of Scripture and pray that passage for a person. So you might take, you know, the list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, and you, you pray through that, and you say, God, I'm going to pray that this person's life would be filled with love, that they would, they would grow in love. God, I, I pray that they, they would experience joy. I, I pray that they would experience peace. And you pray through that, and you, you say things that maybe you don't feel like you mean, but you ask God to do them anyway. And, and what you find is, is not in the first time you do that, maybe not in, in the second or third time you do that, but over time, as you pray for this person, those feelings of resentment and bitterness, they change. They start to break up. They start to fade. They, they maybe even transform into a genuine expression of, of goodwill, a desire for the other person to flourish. Uh, one author I read uh, talked about the relationship between the, the decision and the process, and he said it, it, it's sort of like uh, moving into a new home. You move into your new home on a, a single day, you, you, you bring everything over, but it takes you a while to unpack all the boxes. Now, the, the process it, you know, might take a while, but the goal is to not have those boxes sitting around your living room for you know, the next few years. You, you, you want to make sure you keep opening boxes and working through it and you don't stop. Those are the first two angles on forgiveness. The third angle, though, is really the goal, the purpose uh, behind this process, and it is restoring healthy interaction, restoring healthy interaction. Now, I, I phrase that really deliberately because I intentionally did not say restoring a close relationship or restoring things to the way they were before. It's restoring healthy interaction. It would be wonderful if every person who hurt you, you could come into a warm, close friendship with them. There are all sorts of amazing stories of this happening, of enemies becoming friends. And that's the power of the gospel at work. It's amazing. But it isn't always possible. And it isn't actually required, at least not this side of heaven. The goal of forgiveness, though, is healthy interaction. For day-to-day -day minor conflicts, sometimes this looks like going back to the, the way things were before, but for the bigger conflicts, sometimes the best you can do is interactions that lack hostility. The best might be being professional and respectful as you collaborate on a project. It might be not having to walk on eggshells around your sister at a family holiday. It might mean speaking cordially with your ex-spouse about how your kid's doing in school or when you're going to drop them off for visitation. There's, there's no hostility there, but it's not necessarily a close relationship, and that's okay. That can actually be the foundation of future growth for the relationship. Now, here's the thing. The reason I made this a triangle and not a line is because this is not actually a linear process. This stuff is messy. It doesn't go, always go one, two, three. You're going to kind of bounce around the triangle a bit, you know? You might decide to forgive someone, but then you've got a process of, of working through the feelings. Or maybe you've got to work through some feelings before you can express forgiveness. 
Or, or you start uh, interacting with the person and it brings up more feelings. Or you've got to express forgiveness again. And it, it, it's a messy uh, uh, thing and that is okay. If it's hard and, and, and confusing sometimes, that is not unnatural, okay? But it's especially unnatural, or not, uh, especially messy in a couple of situations. Let me address those. The first is this. How do you forgive someone who's not repentant, who, who isn't sorry, who, who won't own up to what they did? How do you forgive someone like that? The, the answer to that question might surprise you because at one level, you don't forgive them. Let me explain. Okay? We can only forgive repentant people because God only forgives repentant people. The, the Bible is really consistent on this. In, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins to God, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. If we confess. Whenever the gospel is preached in the New Testament, it is preached, uh, the invitation is to repent and believe for the forgiveness of sins. It's not like the Oprah show, you know, where everybody in the room gets a car, like, you get forgiveness, you get forgiveness, everybody gets forgiveness kind of thing. Like, God would love to do that, but God only forgives those who receive the forgiveness. He freely offers forgiveness to all, but he forgives those who repent. It's like getting mailed a a package but refusing to sign for it. It just never arrives. The the same is true with human-to-human forgiveness. Look at Luke 17.3. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, call them out on it. And if they repent, forgiveness, forgive them. So so we can only offer forgiveness to someone if they repent. But what does that mean? Uh, Does that mean we can then get revenge on that person? No, uh, this is what Romans 12 says. It says we're supposed to leave that person in God's hands. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what to do to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So what we should do is leave it to God for him to decide what is just and good to do for that person, not take it into our own hands. Uh, what we should do instead is follow that process that we talked about last week in Matthew 18 of, uh, of confronting and calling out someone and asking them to repent. In the meantime, though, we can work on that angle of the triangle where we work through the feelings that we have. We process the resentment and the anger as we pray for that person. We pray for their repentance. The other situation that's really messy, and this is really the, the messiest situation, uh, is when someone is unsafe. How do you forgive someone uh, who is unsafe? It's these traumatic conflicts uh, where there's been abuse, where there's been a serious breach in trust. How do you forgive there? There's a lot that could be said about this. Uh, Every situation is unique. But the, the main thing, the first thing I want you to hear is this. You should not tolerate an abusive situation. You should not tolerate an abusive situation. If you are currently in an unsafe situation where someone is hurting you physically or verbally or sexually, no matter who they are, whether a family member, a spouse, a friend, a coworker, get help, please. If you don't know how to get help and you're in one of those situations, reach out to a pastor here at the church. We can help you. We're here every weekend in the lobbies. You can pull us to the side and say, hey, I got to talk. You can call up the church through the week. There's always someone available to respond. You can show up here and ask to talk to someone. We want to get you help. One of the tricky things about being in an abusive situation when it comes to forgiveness is that someone who is abusive will often use forgiveness as a way of manipulating someone to not get out of the situation. 
They will say words that sound repentant, sound sorry, but their actions will not back it up. And then they will make you feel like you are the bad guy because they've said sorry again and you're not responding by forgiving. And people will even use passages like this one to hold it over other people's heads. So I want to make something really, really clear. When we say that forgiveness involves restoring healthy interaction, we are not saying you need to stay in an environment where you are going to get hurt. Healthy interaction includes healthy boundaries. You do not need to stay in an abusive situation. And let me tell you one of the reasons I know that. Uh, This week in our Bible Savvy Reading Plan, we read Matthew chapter 2. And that is the story, it's a familiar Christmas story where the wise men come and they visit baby Jesus. Right after that story, King Herod, this wicked king, hears about this, this newborn king and he sends his soldiers to go execute Jesus. And what God says to Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, he says, you gotta get out of that situation now. And so at the age of two, Jesus and, his, and Mary and Joseph, they, they flee to the land of Egypt. They become refugees in a foreign country Because God said, this is an unsafe situation and you should flee from it. You might be in a situation like that where what God is saying to you is flee, get out of it. And if you want to forgive someone who has hurt you in these ways, that does not mean you've got to stay in a close relationship with them. It does not mean you have to trust them again. That the man in Jesus' story, he should have forgiven the man's debt, but that doesn't mean he should have lent the man more money. I grew up in a foster home. uh, My whole life, we had uh, teenage foster girls in our home. Uh, Several hundred came through our house. And they all came from really unsafe situations. And very often, as part of their process of healing and growth, they, they would get to a point where they wanted to express forgiveness to their birth parents or to someone else in their past who hurt them. And sometimes when they, they did that, it actually wasn't even safe for them to be in the same room with that person. And so what they had to do was, was write a letter expressing that. Or if they could be in the same room, they needed to be with a chaperone who was going to make sure things were all right. And then once they talked to their, their parents, it didn't necessarily mean that everything was, was healed and whole and healthy right away. Uh, often, it was the only conversation they could have. They could express forgiveness, but then the healthiest interaction was not having interaction with them anymore. Or at best, it meant that they entered into a season uh, where, where their birth parents could sort of re-earn trust, rebuild a relationship by baby steps. You might be in a situation like that, where, where, where limited contact or no contact is the best result. Uh, since I, I brought up foster kids, I, I do want to just take a moment here for a second, because I, I actually want to address the adopted and foster kids that are here. There's, there's a lot in our church. Uh, and, and I want to say this, as your pastor, uh, I I want to express on behalf of the church, we love you. We love you, and we are so thankful that you are here. Uh, I know that uh, from, yeah, please clap for that. Please clap for that. I know that you probably have uh, feelings that are really mixed about God, about church, about your foster family, about the situation that you're in, and that is totally okay. You do not have to have things figured out and sorted out to be welcome in this community. And I also know from the experience of my siblings that that being in church can be a really tricky situation. You you can feel really out of place like this because you feel out of place in lots of places that you go. And I I just want to make sure you know that we are so glad that you're here. And I also want to tell you that there is hope. 
I, 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 this is not the end of your story. God is not done with you. It is not over. Uh, and I can say that because I've seen it in my sister's lives, but I also know it because God's word says God will not abandon you. He has not abandoned you and he will follow through on what he's doing. Do not give up. There is hope. And, and I just wanna make sure you know, we love you and God loves you. One more thing, one more thing about uh, forgiving unsafe people. The, the process of working through those feelings of resentment can take time. It, it, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, and it is not something you should work through by yourself. Uh, I, I would recommend this. You find either a Christian counselor or you find a support group that you can uh, walk with as you go through this. Maybe both. Uh, if you need help figuring that out, we can actually help you as a church. We can get you in touch with a counselor. Uh, and we actually have groups here on Tuesday night, uh, part of our care night ministries. Uh, we have groups both for adults and for teenagers. Uh, we've got regroup, which is a group especially for things like this. If you are going through something, do not go through it alone. We want to help. Let me end by this, asking a question. What would it look like if we actually did this? Like if each and every one of us, the thousands of people coming to this church, walked out of here and actually went to people that they had a conflict with and extended forgiveness. If we actually started praying for people who hurt us on a daily basis. What would happen if we, we started to release those feelings? How much energy would, would, would be freed up for us to do other things, to focus on other things? How many friendships would be restored? How many uh, families would be healed? How many marriages would be saved? What would it be like for the wider community to look at those of us here and say, you know, these are people who even when they're mistreated here in the workplace, they, they don't respond in kind. They don't get revenge. They're not bitter. They're, they're kind even to people who aren't kind to them. What would it look like if we were a forgiving people? How would that change the way people look not at just the church, but at Jesus, the one who makes all that possible? Uh, we're going to sing a final song now. It's a song about how marvelous and amazing the love of Jesus actually is. During that song, we're going to collect our gifts and our offerings. So let's pray. God, we look to you as the one who can do the impossible. You can actually change our hearts so that we are willing to forgive. God, we, we pray that your love for us, your incredible, unlimited forgiveness would, would not just be a fact in our minds, but it would be an experience in our hearts that you would melt our hearts so that we would be able to offer forgiveness and grace and love to the people who've hurt us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.